That's it. I have really done it this time. That same sin again. I don't think that God can forgive me again. Have you ever, have you ever had those words or those thoughts kind of bounce around in your mind and in your heart? All of us have, I'm sure. Maybe some of, some of you, that this is the thought that you're coming in with this morning. How could God ever forgive me for this again? Or maybe quite a, quite a different thought, and, 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 and a thought represented by the words of, uh, of an author who said, God loves to forgive sins, and I love to commit them. Surely the world is admirably arranged. Think like that. Now, those are, those are two very different perspectives, aren't they? But they, they share something in common. And, and what they share in common is this, is both are wrong responses to God's mercy, to God's steadfast love that we've been confessing here today. And so what's, what's the right response to His mercy, to His love? It's stated very clearly in this psalm in the very first verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Now that sounds easy enough, right? Just, just thank him. Just be thankful. So what's the problem? Why in the world is that so hard for us? It is hard, isn't it? Well, it's, it's because our problem, our problem is, in, is in our fallen condition. And this is not something that's unique to you or me. This is, this is common to everybody that we have a very difficult time giving thanks to God. And, and when you go back, you go into the New Testament in Romans chapter 1, and Paul describes, he describes humanity, he describes men and women in, in, the, in our fallen state, the way we're born in this world. And he says that even though God's, he calls them his invisible attributes, his power and justice and, and might, even those, th- those things are on display in creation, and we can see that God exists, and he's great, and he's powerful, and, and, and he's, he's majestic. Even though we can see those things, the, Paul says, people... We don't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. We don't give thanks to Him. And the fact that we don't glorify God with, with thankful hearts, he goes on to say, it leads to all kinds of other problems. And he lists those in Romans chapter 1. And so, But even as Christians, even as of those who've, who've trusted in Christ and have been brought out of darkness into light, we are still prone to a lack of gratitude in our lives. It's difficult enough to make thankfulness um, an annual event, to have this one grumbling free day every year, uh, this last Thursday in November, and say, all right, I'm going to be thankful today. That's hard enough, isn't it? But to have lives that are marked by continual thankfulness to God, no matter what difficulties we're facing, that, that is foreign to, to many of us in our experience. Now Paul, Paul repeatedly wrote to Christians in the New Testament and wrote to churches telling them to be thankful, to give thanks to the Lord always and in everything. And, and, so, and he did this because they, like us, we need this constant exhortation to be thankful to God. And so this is, this is not a new thing, though, for God's people to be, to be pulled away and dragged down into, into ingratitude. In, in, in and so this is why God gave us this psalm, Psalm 136. And 
because we need to be reminded of this often. We need this, this truth drilled deep down into our hearts and minds. And so you just think about Israel, the people that first received and heard and sang this song a few thousand years before we're sitting here saying it together and looking at this together. And so th- th- this is a people, if you know anything of their history, it's a very sad story. This was a people prone to forgetting God's merciful acts to them. God, so God is graciously reminding them in this psalm. And so that, that truth that remembering and thankfulness are tied together. Our, our, one of the greatest enemies to our thankfulness, to having grateful hearts, is forgetfulness. It's forgetting all that God has done. And so Psalm 136, it is this... It is remedy. It's a, it's a panacea for forgetful, therefore ungrateful hearts. That's what this is. This is why, again, every Sabbath, Jewish people, they, they recite this together. And so the psalm helps us deal with our, our forgetfulness and, and refocuses our attention on God and His steadfast love that endures forever. And so the call, the call there in verse 1 to give thanks to the Lord, it sandwiches the whole psalm. And so you probably notice this. It's four times. The first three verses and then the very last verse of the psalm say give, give thanks. Give thanks. Now the, the word, and this is originally written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word is yada. And it, it just, I just say it's interesting because there is no ancient Hebrew word that simply means to give thanks. There's no word in, in, in that old Hebrew language. And so its most basic meaning is, is to confess, is to confess. And so it's to give this public affirmation, public proclamation in, in this context of, of God and His wonderful uh, character and attributes and his, and his wonderful works, to confess those. And so maybe a more literal translation would be like, thankfully confess, thankfully confess uh, these things. And so, and of course, the great reason for our thankful confession you can't have missed as we recited this psalm together. It's driven home to us very clearly. There's this beat, this, this rhythm through this psalm running through it, and it's this. It's this steadfast love endures forever. This is why we give thanks. This is why we thankfully confess, because a steadfast love endures forever. Behind every single earthly reason we have for gratitude, and we have a bunch, don't we? We have all kinds of reasons to be thankful, but behind all of that stands the unfailing love and mercy of God towards us. That's undergirding everything. His, his, his uh, steadfast love, the, again, the Hebrew word some of you may, have, may recognize, hesed. It's his, it's his covenant-keeping, loyal love. This is the, like, a, like a marriage bond. You're bound together. The Lord has bound together us in covenant commitment to us to love us in spite of our failures in spite of all of our fickleness and tendencies to run from him and so nothing can break the grip of God's love for you believer in Jesus Christ nothing it is steadfast it's and the love of God for you will endure forever there's this is a theme that runs throughout scripture and so one of the clearest expressions of this in the New Testament is in Romans chapter 8. And just listen to these words in verse 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, if in case that didn't cover it all, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's unstoppable. His steadfast love endures forever. And so as we look to Psalm 136 this morning in the few minutes that we have before we have the opportunity to rejoice with those who've experienced this love and are testifying to that through baptism. I just, I just want us to see these, these four facets of, of the love of God or, or four demonstrations of its steadfast endurance forever. And so the, I, I want, and as we look at these, I want this to fuel and to bolster our gratitude for God's love towards us. That's the aim. That's how I've been praying this week. So four demonstrations. First demonstration is this. is It's just God's very being. This is the, the grounds of His love. And so who God is, His very nature, just His essence of who He is, His being, is what, is what His love is grounded in. And so He, he is good, verse 1. He, he is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, verses 2 and 3. He is the God of heaven, Verse 26, and, and so that's enough to be assured of His steadfast love and, and cause for us to give exuberant thanks to Him. And so just notice those, his, his goodness. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. He doesn't just do good things for us on occasion. No, He is in His very nature and His character. He is, he is good. He is intrinsically good. Before He created anything or anyone else, He was good. And after he created this world, and after it fell and, 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 and the world and humanity fell under a curse because of sin, God is still good, and he, and he does good to us. He does what is truly beneficial for us. That's what it means. And God is good to us. And so behind the steadfast love of the Lord stands his goodness. Because God is good, we can be sure that his love will be fixed on us forever. But also, His uniqueness. Give thanks to the, to the God of gods. He's the, he's the one, the only true God. There is no one other like Him. There is, there, he has no rivals. All of the idols of the nations are worthless. If we could go back to Psalm 135, that's the point that the psalm is making. But the Lord is the God of gods. He's the only true God. There is, and He is a God of unfailing love. His, his governance also, verse 3, he, he, he gives thanks to the Lord of lords. He, he reigns, He rules, he, he is the sovereign Lord. There's no legitimate competitor to His throne. And because He's sovereign and, and control and working all things for His own glory and for our eternal good, we can give thanks to Him because His steadfast love endures forever. We don't ever have to wonder whether that's true or not because He's Lord of lords. And we see his transcendence. Look down at the very end, verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven. He's, a, he's the creator of the universe. He sits enthroned above the earth. He is entirely other. He is, he is not part of creation. He's not like us in, in that way. He is, he is other than us. He is, he's enthroned. He's God of heaven. He's infinite and eternal and unchangeable in all of his attributes, his power, his wisdom, his goodness, his love, his might, his holiness, everything. And so this is what the psalmist is doing right out of the gates. Because of who God is, he's good, he's utterly unique, he's absolutely sovereign, he is transcendent. 
when he fixes his love on you, when he sets his love on you, you can know that his love is unfailing and true and you will be held in its grip forever. That's what he's saying. The grounds of, of God's very being, it's, it's, it, uh, his very being is the grounds of his love. And so, dear believer, underneath you are strong, everlasting arms, no matter what you're walking through. And so God holds you in the grip of his love, and that is the ultimate grounds for our gratitude and, and, and our deepest gratitude. And so as you give thanks, give thanks for the steadfast love of God for you that's permanent, unbreakable, unshakable, constant, and eternal. That's, that's the first thing. So his ground. So second demonstration is God's creation. Notice what the psalmist does, and we see this in verses 4 to 9. And, and creation then serves as this theater of his love. This theater of his love. So we're, we're, verse 4 to 9, we're, we're, we're to look around, look up in particular. Look at the sky and the stars and, and the lights. And so creation is this theater which puts the love of God on display for his children. And so I, I know, I was thinking about that. Uh, you know, the, the outdoors, being out in creation, it's, it, it probably doesn't, it doesn't seem to speak as loudly to us as it did for those that first heard these words. I mean, they, their whole lives were essentially outdoors. I mean, even royal kings, they was basically living like they were camping out. I mean, they had roofs over their heads, but so much of life was spent outside, day and night. And so we, most of our lives are spent indoors. We're inside. And so, so, but for them, that was not the case. King David, for instance, as a shepherd, as a soldier, even as king, he spent countless hours looking up at the sky, gazing at those stars at night, and just the, the wonder of it all. And that's reflected in, 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 his, in the psalms that he wrote. And so the psalmist here is saying that, that what we can see of God's handiwork and what he's made, it reveals the love of God for the people of God. It's showing us that his steadfast love endures forever. It's this theater, theater that puts it on display. And so when we look at the beauty, of the beauty of the world and the order of the world and the extravagance of creation, it strengthens our confidence in the things that we cannot see with our human eye. And namely, in the steadfast love of God for us. If this is what he's made and this is how wonderful and glorious he is and all and this power he does verse 4 great wonders for his steadfast love then endures forever and then the, and then we're given this list in verses 5 through 9 this itemization of some of these wonders he who he by understanding he made the heavens with wisdom and power he spread out the earth above the waters he, he made the great lights the sun to rule over the day the moon and stars over the night and then his steadfast love endures forever so, you know, to, to, to be thankful to God for what he's made and, and to look outside and see it as this theater of love, that doesn't make us some kind of nature worshiper or something like that. Not at all. I mean, David, again, the one who spent so much time looking at this Psalm 8, gives another example. He says, when I look at or when I, when I consider, when I meditate upon, contemplate your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place. He has this thought, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? This is what David's doing. He's looking up at the at creation. And he's saying, and it, and it gives him this sense of, 
of overwhelming perspective and, and what his mind is drawn to is the, the unbelievable love of God that he would care for us. This is, this, is what it, this is what it causes this theater to say, oh, God's love is enduring, loyal, steadfast love, and it endures forever. Do you regularly think upon God's mercy shown to you in creation and give thanks to him because of it? I know a lot of us are busy. We don't have time to just sit around and contemplate. It doesn't feel like we have time to sit around and contemplate creation and see, see it, what we're, what we're saying right here. Um, but, but you don't have to, like, you know, take six months off of work and go hike, hike the AT or something like that and then just to, to, to apply this psalm. I mean, as you commute to work or as you drive to school in the morning, as you just look out the window, look at the trees and the, look up at the sky and sun and the clouds and night and stars and the moon i mean these are sunsets sunrise these are beautiful things and 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 so and 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 as you see these things contemplate these things and give thanks to the god who created these things this glorious powerful god who made all of this and yet he humbled himself to show his mercy to us in jesus christ ah it's amazing have small children, you know, get outside and walk with them and just point out to them all of the beauty around them. They, they see it, and so just don't get in their way, basically. Let them just go and see and observe, and, but, but point out to them, remind them that these are expressions of God's mercy and His goodness to us. But all of us, we need this. I, we, we, need to, we need to see. We need this, this theater of love uh, to display His love. It's, it's everywhere. We need to acknowledge it. I I would just say, for those of us who struggle, to be thankful. We, we, are, we are worriers. We're fretful grumblers. Anybody else want to join my club? Part of it, you, maybe you don't know it, but everybody around you knows it. I don't know. But we struggle to be grateful. We struggle to see and believe the steadfastness of God's love for us in Christ. Love for others, even. This is one of the things we do. We get outside and see, look up, see what he's made. That, and, and what that does is it gives us perspective. It gives us perspective on life and the difficulties we're walking through. It gives us perspective on ourselves and, and who we are before this God who made everything. And it, and it magnifies this amazing reality of, of that God's mercy and goodness and grace and kindness to us. It does. It helps us to, to, to sort of garrison our confidence in, in the love of God as we look out and we consider His handiwork. All right, third demonstration. Two more. This is the greatest. It is, it is God's redemption. God's salvation, His deliverance. We'll see this. It's, it becomes this ultimate display of His love. And this is the focus of the psalm and the, 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 the meat, really the core of this psalm. And so he's calling upon God's people here. The first here is those Israelites to give thanks for, for delivering them as a people from, from various enemies. And so we're pointed to two parts in particular of this great redemption story that's, that's alluded to here. And so in verses 10 to 16, we're, he's talking about the Exodus. This is when God, God delivered his people out of, out of the clutches of Egyptian slavery and, and, and redeemed them from that bondage. 
And then in verses 17 to 22, he, he's, he's looking at uh, conquest and inheritance. So God brought them out of Egypt, and God led them through the desert to the promised land and gave them uh, victory over, over the enemies and conquered their enemies for them. This is what he's recalling, and we won't look at all those verses again, but, but God set them free from slavery. He delivered them from that bondage, and then he brought them into this inheritance of their own. See those two parts. He brought them out of this. He brought them into this. And so he, he defeated their enemies, and he, he provided them with a land, and he provided them with rest. It's exodus and it's inheritance. Now what, what I'm going to quickly jump to the, apply this to us. What is the equivalent of that for us? Is it God's, it's God's gracious deliverance of us, of us from our sins through the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf? On the cross. God has in His mercy, He's delivered us, Paul says in Colossians, from the domain of darkness, from that kingdom of darkness, and He's transferred us, He's brought us in to this kingdom of His beloved Son. It's exodus. It's, it's, it's inheritance. God's done all of this for us in Jesus Christ. The greatest display of the love of God for us, towards us, is in redemption. It's in salvation. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, that God demonstrates his love for us in this this is how in that while we were still sinners christ died for us and so i want you to go back to the very beginning of the message and just think back to those those two wrong responses to God's mercy that I mentioned at the, at the very beginning. And so one response was to just keep on sinning, that grace may abound. God loves to forgive, I love to sin, this is great. Um, and, and, and so Thomas Watson was an, a Christian from years ago, centuries ago. He says, this is the devil's logic. He says, this is, a, this is the devil's logic to reason from mercy to sin. So that's not acceptable. But then there's the flip side of that response, too. This other false response to mercy that we talked about. So that God doesn't have enough mercy to cover all of our sins. That's also a horrible thought. And so just imagine if we, if, imagine if we, let's give you an illustration here, and I hope this doesn't just completely fall flat. So just bear with me and smile and act like you get what I'm saying. Um, you don't even know what it is yet, so how can you smile? But imagine we, we, we had charter buses that pulled up here after the service. This is imagination. And we're going, we going to get away from all this craziness of COVID, as if you could do that. And, and we're going to go to the beach. We're going to have beach vacation as a church for Thanksgiving break. And so wherever you, you know, St. Simon's or Destin or, it's your imagination. You can go where, we can deal with charter jet and go to Hawaii. I don't care. Uh, but we're, 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 we're going away. And so we get to the coast, and we're, we're getting there, and we, and we park the bus, and you know how most beaches, you, you've got to kind of go the boardwalk and over the dunes, and as we start to crest the dunes, you look out there, and it's dry. The ocean is dried up. It is, there's no water to be seen. And so all of those things that had formerly been under that water are now exposed. You've got, you know, small rock, everything from small rocks to to, you know, large boulders, to, you know, shipwrecks, to garbage that's, you know, now settled in there uh, that was under the water and now it's exposed. So all that's out in the open. All of it's exposed to the light. And, and, and so what I want you to think of is, is, is take that, take all that stuff, all that debris that's been revealed now and exposed, take that to be your sins. 
Little sins, big sins, medium sins, pebbles, all the way to mountain-sized sins. And it's all out in the open. It's all exposed to the light. God, God, the, it's exposed to God who hates sin and who must punish sin. It's all exposed. What do you do? You tremble in fear. We, you would be frantic. You would, and so you start frantically trying to do anything you can to cover up all of those rocks with, and all of those sins with any bit of water you can find. And you don't have hardly anything. And so you've got your little Aquafina bottle on your... Uh, and, and, you, and so you're like squirting it out there trying to cover up all of that that's been now exposed because of the, it's gone. It's absolutely useless. So you sit hopelessly in despair. And we sit there on the, looking at one another on the shore just waiting for final judgment. But then, all of a sudden, there are these massive underground springs that, that burst forth out of the ocean floor. And, and almost in an instant, everything that was exposed is now covered with untold you know, megatons of this frothy, uh, beautiful salt water. And, and so the rocks, the pebbles, even the mountains that were exposed before, they are now all covered, and all you see is just beautiful blue water. I know, just try to stay with me. And so even the sins, even those enormous sins are now covered. Friends, that's, that's what God's mercy does in the life of a sinner when he trusts in Jesus Christ as his Savior. Jesus covers us, Scripture says, with his, with his shed blood, the blood he shed on the cross for us when he stood in our place. And, and, and so he did what we could never hope to do on our own. We're like the Aquafino bottle, squirting it out there. We can never do this, not by our good works, not by our tears of sorrow, not by our commitments that we make to God, not by our morality, not by coming to church when we could be doing something else. God's, God's mercy does what we could never do. It covers it all. So, the, so one man goes, all right, so that happens. Well, why don't I just go on sinning then? The grace may abound. I mean, he, so if, if, if that's the thought, let me just say, there's, there's something right about that. There, there's some truth to that sentiment. Because where sin abounds in our lives, grace does abound all the more. It does. <laughs> Thank God it does. So there, there's a true premise but it is a false and terrible conclusion. It's a satanic reasoning, what Thomas Watson said. It's, a, it's, this, it's the reason of the devil to reason from mercy to sin. But, but the ocean of God's mercy, it does, it does cover even the highest rocks of our sin. And so with that illustration in mind, just think of how we can sometimes be as Christians. So after God has mercifully covered all of the pebble rocks and pebble sins and rock sins and mountain sins in our lives with this glorious ocean of Christ's blood, rather than being thankful for this, rather than resting in this reality, what do we sometimes do? We say, wow, since God's done this, here's some more. Let me throw some more sins in there. That's fine. Let's, let's sin that grace may increase. After all, it's an ocean. It's going to cover everything. Let's just keep on sinning. That's wrong. All right, we've seen that, but let's go to the other person who says, I don't know. How do I know that the ocean is really covering everything? Of course it has. Of course it has. 
But, but we still want to grab again. We want to grab our little water bottle. We want to squirt our, our water out there thinking we're helping, helping the Lord out and, and saying maybe there's something that Christ's blood didn't cover. And I have to make my contribution to it. And we say, no, not at all. What is this psalm? What does all the scripture tell us to do? It just says, be thankful. Be thankful for God's mercy. It covers our sin. What, it's to, to just sit on that coastline using this illustration and just look out over this ocean of God's amazing mercy and grace and love for us in Jesus Christ. Just marvel at it. Let those thoughts linger in our mind and loom large in our hearts and, and change us. That's what we're to do. So this is a great, this, the greatest display of love is, is redemption. And then finally, quickly, his fourth demonstration is God's providence. His providence or the way he provides for us in his sovereignty. The, the, and this shows the persistence of his love. He, he, it's unrelenting. He cares about our weaknesses. Verse 23, it's he who has remembered us in our lowest state. I mean, just think back over the last year. I know it's been a hard year for so many of us. And, and, but to think about the way God has cared for you, even in your weakness. And I know we tend to run to the, to the ways in which we, we, we're struggling, to the ways in which we feel like we've been let down. God has provided for you in countless ways. Think about those things. Dwell upon those things. How has he been tender toward you this year? When, when, when you've cried out to him to de- deliver you from some trouble and, and he's been gracious and patient with you. When, when you've struggled through very dark valleys where he's, he's walked alongside you and he's, he's, he's sustained you and his rod and his staff have comforted you. It doesn't mean everything was great and easy and everything went back to, to being rosy, but he's been with you. He's been faithful day after day. He also delivers us from our enemies, so spiritual and physical. He's rescued us from our foes, verse 24. Um, I just keep going. He, he feeds us and sustains us, verse 25. He gives food to all flesh. He cares for our needs. I mean, the Lord cares for us. He's provided for us. Every good and perfect gift, every, every gift we have, we've received, uh, and he's given to us freely by his grace. We have what we need, and we have, we honestly, we have an abundance. And so our lives, our lives are to be marked by, by this thankfulness to God. And the greatest reason we have to be thankful is for the fact that His steadfast love for us endures forever. That's, that's the contention here. And so as you, as you look back over the past days, weeks, months, year, years, have your thoughts, have your words, have your actions been punctuated by gratitude to God? What do we have that we have not received? It's all gift. It's all grace. From the clothes on our backs to the roof over our head or in your home to, 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 to uh, food in our bellies to the love of our families to, to the grace to us in Christ that's provided salvation for us now and for eternity. Grace. I mean, this Thursday is this annual opportunity to revel in God's goodness and love for you. And what about the other 364 days of the year? Well, every Lord's Day, 
Every Sunday, every first day of the week, we have this remarkable opportunity to, to give thanks to the Lord together. This, this is not a box to check every week. I hope you don't treat it like that or think of it this way. This is, this is not an empty ritual. This, this is a weekly opportunity to thankfully confess God's steadfast and enduring love together with one another. This is a glorious opportunity. And even on those weeks and those days when it's so hard and it's difficult to come, this is, this is God, the rhythm of our lives is to, is to be helped by as we come together each week and give thanks to the Lord together. Look to Christ again together. Now what about the other 313 days of the year? Pray with, pray with an emphasis on the things for which you can give thanks. Thank God as you pray to Him. Recall those things. As you read His words, center your thoughts upon, upon the Lord and, and on His ways and upon His love. Now listen, I'm, I'm not saying this as like, okay, we just, just paste on a smile and just... Just, you know, pretend to be thankful. No, I know some of you are walking through and have walked through uh, significant trials in life. Some of you are there right now. But for, but for some in particular, it's, it's hard to get a glimpse of God's mercy right now in Christ. We, we have those seasons. They're very difficult challenges. Maybe just excruciatingly painful things you're dealing with at work or, or, or family um, uh, family turmoil that's just eating away at you or, or physical afflictions that are wearing you down. I know many of you face that. And, and, and in all of these things, you find it very difficult to give thanks to the Lord. My simple encouragement to you is this, is, is as you wait, don't, don't rush God's merciful deliverance. It will come. It will come. Uh, if you've ever picked fruit with Little kids, we used, you know, when the, um, we went to this a couple times, go up to North Georgia in the fall and apple pick. We've, we've only done it a couple times. But when the kids were little, it's like they have no concept of which fruit. It's just like the f- closest one, the first one they can get their hands on. You know, they're just picking it. It could be this, you know, tiny little green, bitter, sour apple, and it's going in the basket, or this rotten one that's got worms growing out. It doesn't matter. Just throw it in the basket. And we're like, all right, we're paying for these. But, uh, but so, so the, it's, it's, hard, it's hard sometimes for for kids to think, okay, well, wait, I'm going to find one that's, that's ready to drop. It's ready to fall. It's ripened. We're, we can be the same way in trials. I can be. This is a temptation that we, we, we want to grab the apples of God's mercy and His deliverance, and, and we want, to, we want, we want to, to, to get out of that while it's still green and, and it's not ready to drop. The Lord says, wait, wait, trust me. We have to wait patiently on God in His appointed time of deliverance. Psalm 136, we just read this, and I know we glossed over it in a few words, but how long did Israel have to wait? How long were they in bondage in Egypt? 400 years. 400 years. Now we read and we sing, oh, thank, give thanks to God. He's rescued us from Egypt and brought us into the... 400 years. I have trouble waiting a month when there's some trial and I'm, some, some difficulty, some question that I, I'm struggling with and I, I, need, I need resolution now. The Lord says, oh, be patient. Trust me. And as you trust me, look back and see 
who I am, my being, ground, that my love is grounded in my very being, that, that my love is, is, is witnessed to in creation, and look around you and get perspective. My love for you is certainly displayed most clearly in redemption, my salvation. Look what I've accomplished for you and the grace that you have in Christ because of what Jesus has done for you. Look, at, look around and be patient. Wait in humble, trusting, thankful submission for God's appointed time of deliverance. But let me assure you, it will come. It will come. He's often late by our calendars, but he's never a second late on his. Give thanks to God at all times. Think of God's mercies in your life. And the more you do, the more you'll be amazed at what God has done. Let's contemplate, let's consider, let's meditate upon God's steadfast love that endures forever and give thanks to the Lord because he's good. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that, that, that indeed the, the, one of the greatest enemies to our thankfulness is our forgetfulness. We don't remember as we ought to. So much, so much of what we have enjoyed, we, we, we want to credit it to our own efforts, to our own energies, to our own wisdom, to our own hard work. And we forget, Lord, that it is all of your, all of your grace. And so, so help us to remember, Lord, and, and all that we have, we've received from your hand. And so we thank you for your kindnesses. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your mercies, which are new every morning. Lord, we confess great is your faithfulness, your, your steadfast love, and endures forever and ever and ever. Nothing can break its grip on our lives. And we praise you supremely for the cross and for the empty tomb and for Christ who's seated on his throne and is, and is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God by him, this, this full and perfect redeemer we have in Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. And we ask, I, I pray, I pray that this Thursday, Lord, as, as many of us enjoy gifts of your common grace to us this week and your food and family being around and friends and and, and all of these things, Father, that, that you would help us to transpose our gratitude for these kind of creaturely comforts to this higher key and to express our praise and thankfulness for your redemptive love for us in Jesus Christ. We ask all of this now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.